0: Blog Talk Radio. <laughs> Take a licking. <laughs> there is someone waiting who will hurry up and rescue you. Just call for Chicken. Welcome to the Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer Radio Show, brought to you by Calm Bach Feeds. My name is Andy Schneider, but most know me as the Chicken Whisperer, author of The Chicken Whisperer's Guide to Keeping Chickens, national spokesperson for the USDA Biosecurity for Birds program, and editor in chief of Chicken Whisperer magazine. Each week I welcome experts in their field to share their knowledge about different topics including backyard poultry, show poultry, heritage poultry, gardening, cooking, and of course living a self-sufficient lifestyle. Be sure to visit us online at chickenwhisperer.com where you can follow us on Twitter, become a fan on Facebook, and subscribe to the totally free digital edition of Chicken Whisperer Magazine. Once again I would like to thank all of you for tuning in today to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer brought to you by our good friends over at Kalmbach Feeds. At Kambach Feeds, our layer pellets and crumbles are all-natural, antibiotic-free with no animal
1: byproducts. Formulated just for laying hens, our feed is fortified with essential amino acids and calcium to ensure maximum production of nutritious,
0: tasty, strong shelled eggs. From our family to yours, feed your hens the way nature intended. Pure, wholesome goodness. Kalmbach Feeds,
1: Find a dealer at ComboxFeeds.com. That's K-A-L-M-B-A-C-H, Feeds.com. Or order your layer pellets and crumples today on Amazon.com. Combox Feeds is a proud sponsor of the Chicken Whisperer.
0: All righty. Thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. We have a great show lined up for you today. I've got our good friend, poultry scientist and professor, Dr. Bridget McRae, Ph.D. She'll be joining us here shortly. We're going to be talking all about, ready for this, poultry research translated. It's one of my favorite shows that she does. Uh, She's been coming on the show for probably five years now, and this is one of my favorites. She takes uh, poultry research that's been done and kind of translates it so uh, we kind of understand what the heck it's talking about and what it means and how maybe we can relate it to our backyard, if at all. So uh, very, very cool, and we've got a couple of good ones that she's going to be talking about specifically in this show, so I'm definitely looking forward to get, get that out uh, ne- the next break. Get that pen and paper out. You may want to take some notes. Might be some things you can Google in your backyard, but maybe not. It would be a big surprise, but this is really one of my favorite shows. I love the evening bowls when we do those, um, but this year, poultry uh, research translated. I always learn so much. It's always so fascinating, thought-dropping, interesting, uh, because it's just, uh, just really cool, folks. Uh, I do have some chickens in the news to share with you this morning, Um, and I think I'll probably do that. Ah, We'll do it right now. Uh, Then we'll go to our first official commercial break, and then we'll bring Dr. McCray on when she calls in. Just got off the phone with her 15 minutes ago, and she was wrapping up preparing for today's episode. This just came across my email literally 15 minutes ago, and you remember back around the 1st of June, um, within seconds, Uh, I released that salmonella outbreak for this year. There's been one every year for the last 15 years related to backyard poultry and mill order hatcheries. And so uh, we had a couple shows on that, and and we posted all the information on that, blah, blah, blah. And uh, just literally 15 minutes ago, it's been updated again by the CDC headquarters in Atlanta. And I'm going to go ahead and give you the uh, all-new numbers. It looks like the number of cases has doubled, um, and this is 8... Multi-state outbreaks of human salmonella infections linked to live poultry and backyard flocks. And so that doesn't mean states are involved. There's 45 states involved. The eight multi-state outbreaks means there's eight different strains of salmonella um, with this outbreak. Eight different strains uh, of salmonella uh, are included in this one outbreak, which now um, looks at, uh, as far as today, 1 p.m., just released CDC. The case count is at 611 people sickened um, in 45 states. There's been one death. We know that that wasn't directly related to the salmonella virus. And then there's been 138 people hospitalized. If you remember back in June, we had a young lady, a mom, whose son, 15 months old, I believe, uh, got salmonella. Was diagnosed with salmonella. Tracked back, traced back salmonella from the the hatchery chicks that they got and she, you need to listen to the show it was awesome uh, because she, she was per, really the perfect candidate here soccer mom was doing what she thought was everything right the 15 month old little boy never touched the brooder never cleaned out the brooder never handled the chicks nothing 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 she even supposedly changed her clothes you can listen to the show and, and her son still got salmonella. Salmonella can attach to dust. We know how dusty brooders can be, keeping them in your house, in your living room, in your bedroom, whatever the case may be. Salmonella can attach to the dust and get everywhere. Yes, it can attach to the best folks. So her 15-month-old, it, it was a really sad story. He's recovered. As far as we know, he was recovering very well when we talked to, but, yeah, nobody wants to have bloody diarrhea and have to go to the doctor and have to get on these antibiotics. These other 138 people, I have no idea at what level, how many were in ICU before their life or how many still are. Uh, last year, we had a... Uh, family on where their 14-year-old was battling for his life. Literally, they were planning his funeral, it got so bad, um, with him. But um, 138 uh, hospitalizations. Let's see, uh, one more outbreak was identified, bringing the total to eight. Uh, 287 more ill people have been reported, so uh, almost double, 287 more from from 1st to June. Uh, Ten more states have been reported cases bringing the total to 45 states with ill people. Uh, In the 8 outbreak, 611 people infected with the outbreak strains of salmonella were reported from 45 states. Let's see what we got here. Let's see if anything else here, anything of importance. I'm trying to get the strains of salmonella that were... um, So I can share that with you, scrolling down here. It says, among the people for whom information is available, Illnesses started ranging from January 4th all the way to June 25th. Um, Ill people range in age from 1 to 93 years of age. 1-year-old to 93 years old are the people affected uh, by this outbreak. A median age of 20, uh, 52% were female. Let's see, 138, which is about 28% people reported being hospitalized. And... um, let me see what else we got as I scroll down. Like I said, this just sent over to me. Um, I really want to get the strains of salmonella. Here, let's see. Here we go. We have, uh, and I'm going to destroy these names. Um, we've got the salmonella uh idius I-, I-, uh, I-, I guess and that's uh, that's a common one. I should know how to pronounce that handy. Um uh, we have salmonella uh, m- munster which kind of looks, looks kinda of like it's spelled like the cheese. Um salmonella Hadar, salmonella Indiana, salmonella uh m- bandica, uh we've got Salmonella Infetus, we've got Salmonella uh Raiderup we've got salmonella, we've got two down here, salmonella impetus. Maybe there's a different strain of those two, but they have them down here. There's eight of them. So um, those are the different types of salmonella. Uh, and that kind of goes back and just pops into my mind. That some of these people that say, oh, it'll be okay if I get salmonella because then I'll be immune to it. There's a well over 2,000 different strains of salmonella. If you want to go ahead and get all 2,349 strains or whatever it is of salmonella so you can have maybe, maybe a a little bit, but it's not, it's not going to happen. We've already debunked that on uh, factor chicken poop. Uh, so, uh, yeah, this was just updated within uh, 15 minutes ago, and um, the numbers have gone up, as we knew it would. But um, is this cause to not get backyard chickens? Of course not. Even the CDC would say that. But they do say that uh, children under five, uh, the elderly, and people with a weakened immune system should not handle live poultry. And... Um, uh, and they've been consistent with that for many, many years. And but they will tell you no. Um, when you and, and again, that's the case with you know people looking at the numbers. And we, and we've we've beaten this dead horse, if you will, for a long, long time uh, on this radio show. So I just wanted to give you that chickens of the news that it has been updated within the hour. Um, 611 now ill. 45 states are included. And let me just see the states here. Go over to the map and see who has the most. Um, Wow, the Northeast uh, really got um, hammered. Uh, We have uh, New York, Pennsylvania, Ohio, West Virginia, Virginia, Kentucky, North Carolina. All of those have had anywhere between 21 to 67 people sick in those states. Um, Let's see, Georgia, 10 to 14. Alabama looks like they had... um, 15 to 20. Uh, really heavily loaded in in the northeast. let's uh, see Minnesota, Wisconsin, Indiana, Illinois, uh, Missouri. Still up there, 15 to 20 people. And then um, and then it gets a little bit less the further west you go. Um, we're still trying to find out what hatchery or what hatcheries when we talked to them earlier. Because, you know, pardon me, that was a sneak up attack on um, because we know last year was the very first year that they did not, that I know of, that they did not make the hatchery name public. Uh, I kind of uh, pressured them on that and uh, asked those tough questions like, wouldn't that be a great tool to have to try to prevent from getting sick? I don't think we're not to maybe buy from, or at least to have that information to choose not to buy from. So, um, yeah, hmm. so apparently this year, um, they may not be um, doing that at all, but they, they were saying that they that they might. Oh, jeez! I got a little baby that did a crash and burn, and had, she's got some road rash. Little well, three-year-old, they're outside playing. Um, no, they're not playing Pokemon Go. They don't even know what Pokemon is. Um, they were out actually probably dribbling the basketball and playing a remote control cars, throwing frisbees, and it looks like she took a a burn. I'm sorry, baby. Oh, beautiful little three-year-old. So cute, but so sad. Okay, so she's got a little road rash. It looks like below her nose and above her lip where she just took a head, head first and crash. So, um So, uh, hey, family show, right? Live show, live radio? So anyway, I just wanted to share that with you. And uh, I will be posting that on Facebook during the show so others can see about that and read more about that information. I'm going to go to commercial break we've got two on the whole show, and um, I'm going to get that taken care of. Who is this calling me from Louisiana? I don't know. Um, They'll leave a message. So we're going to commercial break. We'll come back Uh, in the caller queue. uh, We've got Dr. McRae. She's going to probably talk a little bit about the salmonella outbreaks. That's breaking news now. And then uh, we'll get to our poultry research translated. Uh, So while the break is going, uh, hey, get that pen and paper out, because you may want to take some notes uh, from Dr. McRae. And uh, we'll see you in a minute. Enter the coupon code Whisper at checkout and receive 10% off your entire order. Order your new incubator today at brensea.com. That's b-r-i-n-s-e-a.com. Cackle Hatchery is a third-generation, family-owned and operated hatchery. They offer over 193 varieties of poultry shipped directly from their facility in Missouri. It's their mission to enhance your life by providing you with quality poultry for showing, meat, enjoyment, eggs, and pets. They specialize in hatching purebred poultry and shipping day-old chicks right to your local post office since 1936. 4H and FFA youth poultry clubs get a 10% discount. Check out their website, CackleHatchery.com, for posted weekly specials and discounts. That's CackleHatchery.com. Give the yard bird chicken plucker takes the hassle out of backyard chicken processing by fully defeathering birds in less than 15 seconds the compact size makes it easy to transport and easy to store the one and a half horsepower motor and 20 inch stainless steel tub can handle two eight pound birds at the same time there are no belts or pulleys to wear out and no adjustments necessary which makes it virtually maintenance free For more information about how you can own this must-have chicken processing product, visit YardbirdChickenPluckers.com today. That's YardbirdChickenPluckers.com. Ideal Poultry has been a family-owned and operated business since 1937. Their business is built on customer service and quality poultry. From rare white and brown egg layers to broilers, ducks, turkeys, and bantams, Ideal Poultry is the largest supplier of backyard poultry in the United States, shipping close to 5 million chicks annually. Visit them online at IdealPoultry.com. That's IdealPoultry.com. Hi, I'm country music artist Nathan Osmond, and you're listening to Backyard Poultry with a Chicken Whisperer. And the mighty bird against prejudice continues his fight for law and order. So when you hear that cry in the sky, <laughs> you'll know it's Super Chicken. All righty, thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with Chicken Whisper. brought to you by Feet, sitting over the phone lines right now, bringing on live our very good friend, um ultra-scientist and professor, Dr. Bridget McCray. Hey, Doc, thanks for joining us today.
1: Hello, Andy. How are you?
0: I'm doing well. You're sounding good today. So glad you could call in. You probably caught the tail end of that update. I mean, it, it was updated at 1 o'clock nationally, and um, probably about 10 minutes before I went live, I got an email from CDC and uh, about the update on the uh, salmonella outbreak, and uh, I uh, totally messed up all the names of those different types of salmonella. No, you did pretty eight.
1: good. I was going to say... Congratulations. You you messed up on the one that I always mess up on. I just kind of go badaga <laughs> Because a lot of these are named after cities or locations oh. where things um where they were first identified. So, you yeah, infantus ineritidus um brain yep. Des- all Not all of them are easy to pronounce. I don't blame you for messing up on them.
0: <laughs> so, but, yeah, so 611 people now and uh, 45 different states, really heavily uh, coded up into the northeast. And, yeah, and, uh,
1: that means to me, that means that more than likely that's where the hatchery works. the hatchery is located, uh-huh. which is, you know, well, I'm glad I don't see Delaware all lit up like a Christmas tree, but, hey, that that worries me. I know there's several yep. hatcheries in Pennsylvania and some in Ohio and maybe a few in Kentucky. But, um, yeah, that's kind of major bummer.
0: I know. So that's, it's, 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 uh, they update it, and they'll probably update it again next month, and the number will go up just a little bit. But, and then they'll probably close it out in uh, September and say, hey, this this is completed and blah, blah, blah. And then we look forward to uh, next year because cause literally probably um, – uh, before the first one was announced, I was calling them saying, hey, uh, is there any activity or we got (laughs) boots on the ground? doing interviews because this will be the first year literally in maybe it'll be 15 or more years that there hasn't been an outbreak and sure enough there there was so a pretty high number through 611 I think that was much higher than last year's number and it'll still be added on to so and, and of course as this movement grows and grows uh, we may see that number go higher and higher as more people are getting involved and getting the backyard poultry and blah 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 but it just means you and I and everybody else has to just educate you know I was telling somebody the other day, uh, about the factor chicken poop book, and I said there's probably going to be some uh, statements in there that we we challenge and that that end up being somewhat correct. And just like you've answered some that say, well, this isn't entirely false. That half of it, you know, half of it, and you and you and you pick kind of pick it apart. And um, uh, regarding that, so but but the the factor chicken poop thing uh, uh, again. Uh, just uh, where was I going with this? More um, more educate. <laughs> okay I know i had a, I had a point here with that. I was gonna be talking about it, but um uh can't remember how I was gonna tie it back in but uh, but anyway, so um yeah more well information i'm gonna on, uh, i'm gonna
1: tell you about an upcoming event. It's not as big as cooptastic, but since I've got you on the air here this Saturday, yeah. we've got an urban chicken keepers symposium. It's going to be this Saturday, July 23rd from 9 to 2 at the Camden County, New Jersey Cooperative Extension Office. It's $30 that includes your lunch um, and it goes to support New Jersey 4-H poultry. So I wanted to let folks know um, spread the word. This is the first time we've ever had an Urban Chicken Keepers Symposium. Of course, not all the topics are strictly for urban chicken keepers. We've got topics like basic chicken keeping, and that applies to anybody anywhere. Um, we've talked We're going to talk about um, youth and poultry activities, um, most common chicken keeping mistakes, how an egg is formed, nutrition, and how you can incorporate chickens into your local science fair and do some citizen science. So, of course, I've been thinking about the Citizen Science Project, and I think we'll have something to talk about later on this year, Andy.
0: Awesome. Looking forward cool. to it. That
1: All right. Coop so Tats-
0: this year, Coop CoopTastic is in 17,
1: right? Yes, 2017. Yeah. And cool. we're hoping that maybe you will consider coming um, back to Delaware, little old Delaware. But this weekend, if you know folks in and around um, southern New Jersey also, Philadelphia area. We also have a couple of vendors coming in who are going to showcase their items, whether they are uh, chicken sweaters or chicken coops or equipment items, that sort of thing. Um, you know, I just wanted to let people know it's not going to be nearly as big as Cooptastic, but it's there. We're going to see. Um, What kind of questions do we get from folks? And some of those questions may determine what ends up being at Cooptastic, what people want to hear. Cool. Awesome. Yeah, and we do do walk-ins. So if you miss the pre-registration date, it's still okay to do a walk-in.
0: Okay. That
1: sounds good. If Um, you have any
0: information uh, that I can link to, I can put it on the Facebook page too if you have anything. I guess
1: I should probably email this to you, huh? Hmm.
0: And then I, can, I can get there and then people can click on it and get all the information um, so they don't have to rewind and to get all the information on the podcast once it's recorded and posted. So uh, that'd be easier. You'd reach a little bit uh, uh, people faster that way. So no problem.
1: All right. I'm going to try to get this flyer to you super quick here. See how fast I can That's click, fun. click, click. <laughs>
0: <fine.
1: But> <laughs> apparently know. not that fast. Um, but since since I have my you know um activities in that area, and I know a lot of your listeners are um urban chicken keepers, I thought I'd tell them about this, and you know if they want something like this in their area um you know we can talk about putting something like that together for for their area. You never Very know cool. so I love it. Andy, this is poultry research translated this month. Um Hello. we've been trying to do this for a while, guys but um couple of really cool research acti- um projects that I want to tell you guys about as as um things change in the world of chicken keeping different research projects pop up that I think occasionally might be of interest to you the listeners, and this one um was published in Poultry Science Journal, which is um, a very, one of the top reputable poultry journals out there. And it's a behavior study. So, um, you know, you let your chickens go outside, and pretty soon, depending on where they are, they may have scratched up and messed up a section of your yard. You know, kind of looking at, all right, How do we get the chickens to use the entire outdoor space? Well, this project was looking at organic meat chickens. And guess what breed of chicken they used, Andy? Dead silence on Andy's end. I think we lost him, folks. Uh oh. Well, I'll tell you guys, they used the Delaware. I did a research project with the Delaware. Um, several years ago, and it's a slow-growing heritage breed of chicken. And they did research with the Delaware. Um, I think I've talked in the past about a research project that used different types of covers out in, in outdoor spaces. And as everyone knows, if you're raising chickens in an organic fashion, they must have access to the outdoors. Well, anybody who's ever seen... Meat chickens, broiler chickens, they are not the great explorers of the chicken world. Absolutely not. In fact, they're more prone to just sitting down than walking around. So that's probably why they did this work with the Delaware chickens, because they certainly do have no problem walking around and getting about. Um, so how do you get the chickens to use the entire out? space. What do you have to put out there? What enrichments should you provide? Um, trees, maybe some sort of shade cover, um, food and water, moving that around outside, we all know works. That gets them to use the space that's, a little bit more. You came back, back, Andy.
0: <laughs> I did, yeah. I
1: just disappeared all of a sudden, but um, yeah. thanks. So a uh, dust bath, the dust bath,
0: uh, so they can do the dust bathing and their yep. water and their feed. Maybe a block here your bad, Andy, a uh, poultry block. They can go out and uh, have a little snack in the afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, get
1: them out there. you know, they, they looked at trying to construct enrichments or using something that simulated natural enrichments. Um, because we all know, but not everybody can plant trees in their yards and in some cases it's just not a good idea for putting a shade tree out there planting a shade tree because you're going to bring in wild birds but your birds still need shade so what are you going to provide as an alternative hmm how do we research that say it again shade cloth shade cloth exactly so what they did is they they took um i think they did the research at university of arkansas and i gotta say folks stuff that is coming out on organic research from the university of arkansas y'all needed to, to sit up and take notice they're doing great things there so they put in in all eight pens had delaware chickens all eight pens had sandboxes for dust bathing in them okay four pens had shade cloth in the far end of the pen. Mm-hmm. Uh, four pens had roosts in them. Four pens had screened shelters in them. And four pens had, uh, Oh, actually all the pens had a range feeder and a range water out there midway down the pen. So, you know, Getting the birds to walk out to the food and water is important, and getting them to um, to use the the part of the pen that's furthest from the indoor space. And all the birds had indoor space. And what they did, um, which was kind of cool, is they, they, I don't think they physically divided it up, but they took the outdoor space and, and split it into four quadrants. Quadrant one was closest to the building where they could go inside. Two was a little further out. Three was beyond halfway. And four was all the way at the end of the uh, pen, outdoor pen space. Um, so they got all these chicks uh, from the same place. Um, they were all vaccinated for Merrick's disease. They, they even looked at um, whether or not these chicks were picking up um, coccidia when they were going out, sore, outdoors, and if they needed anti-coccidia treatment, they were ready to do that. Um, so they were occasionally testing the feces um, during brooding um, for osis, for coccidiosis, which is pretty forward-thinking because we all know once we let our birds outdoors, we expose mm-hmm. them to a whole host of organisms, and coccidia can be kind of a nasty Nasty creature. Um, So basically, they took all the birds, raised them in two groups under traditional um, brooders, uh, did cold room brooding, and then um, eventually, after a period of time, they split them up into their respective pens. Um, Pen one or treatment. Treatment one was basically they didn't get any range enrichment. That was the control. And then treatment two was range enrichment, Um, panels and roosts and shade and shelter outside. 17 birds in each pen, four replicates of each. So four pens that were control and four pens that had enrichments. Um, They used straight run birds because the hatchery didn't sex so, you know, as we all know, you're, some chicks are going to be males and some are going to be females. So, indoors, you've got, you know, think of it as the typical inside of a chicken coop. It's got perches, it's got bedding on the floor, um, and we all know that uh, Delawares are more than capable of perching. Sometimes on things we don't want them to perch on, but they can perch on them. Um uh, So taking a look outside, um, each pen was separated by an electric net um, or electric fence, electric net fence is what they call it. Uh, So they can't go from pen to pen uh, in the outdoor portion or in the indoor portion. Um, They used just regular old sand in the uh, dust box area and all of the holes what they call pop holes that lead to the outdoors um the mm-hmm. birds immediately on in all the pens um the birds immediately you know dropped right down into uh the dust bathing area so there there was incentive for them to actually leave the coop um and all the pens had food and water outdoors whether they were control or enriched pens um Everybody had a balanced diet. Um, this is not a feed trial where they, they changed up the feed, but food was always available both inside and outside. And the range feeders had a rain guard so that um, feed didn't end up with water in it and you know had a rim so they didn't yank feed out of it. Um, so ground roosts, shelters, and shade, those were the three enrichments in the pens. Um, roosts were plastic pipe at least 10 centimeters off the ground. Shelters were plastic pipe and partially screened on the sides and on the top. And respectively, they were placed further from the, um, from the uh, not in the first quadrant uh, in the outdoor space. They were either in the second or third quadrants in the outdoor space. Um overhead shade panels were um at least oh what is that one point eight meters, so at least six foot off the ground um and they were always in quadrant three, so that they they always had shade in their specific outdoor space, and depending you know you know this depending on the orientation of your pens, you can kind of get shade that spills over into the other pens, but it was not appreciable um They did mow the vegetative cover or the pasture that was in the outdoor spaces um, because, you know, it was Bermuda grass, and we all know how that can kind of grow aggressively. Um, Chickens didn't necessarily keep it down 100% of the time, so they did occasionally have to come in and mow as needed. Um, So what they did is they looked at bird weight, and feed on each type of pen at uh, the start of the trial when the birds had access to the outdoor space on day 22. Um, And then again, um, at the end of their growing period at day 49, but they kept the birds until 77 days, which was the end of their finishing period. Um, So they, they were careful to keep the trial a little bit longer. We all know that Delaware's take longer to grow. Um, the behavior portion was the super cool part. They looked at both the number of birds indoors versus outdoors, as well as in the outdoor area. They looked at the number of birds in each quadrant of the outdoor space and counted it. what the birds were doing in the outdoor space um, they didn't like measure how far the birds were, um, because some of the birds were actually moving around. It is just a scan sample. But what they did is they they conducted um, scan sampling in seven minute intervals three times a day. So from nine to nine forty five in the morning, midday, from one to one forty five, and then again early evening, at four to about four forty five. And they did it for three consecutive days when the birds were seven weeks old, and again when they were 10 weeks old. Um, so, scan sampling is basically you're watching them for seven minutes, you know, writing down how many are standing, how many are pecking at each other, drinking, eating, dust bathing, feeding, foraging, perching, sitting standing walking you know all these different things they quantified and what quadrant the birds were doing these things in which is pretty impressive and in some cases apparently um, they had to use binoculars just so that their presence didn't alter the bird's behavior Uh, they also took into account that Behavior changes depending on how hot it is. There may be a very good reason why these chickens don't use the outdoor space. It's too hot. Um, so they actually took um, these big globes and painted them black, and they kept them inside the house and outside uh, to kind of record the temperature that was um, you know, being absorbed, the heat that was being absorbed in these big black globes so that you get an idea of, all right, that's how hot it is, and um turns out that didn't necessarily affect too much what the birds were doing. So uh, they did record during the observation periods what those globes were recording as far as temperature is concerned. Okay, what happened? What were the results? Uh, so basically the weight gain was not... Significant between the two groups of birds, whether it was the control group or the enriched group. Um, there was no significant difference in weight gain in grams per chick. Uh, there was also no real difference in the feed intake or even the feed conversion ratio. So whether these birds have enrichments outside or not isn't going to affect the growth of this breed, Delawares, um, nor their feed consumption or, or their ability to convert feed to muscle or bone. Um, that was in the first half of the period. In the latter half of the period when they were finishing out in size, um, again, no real difference. So when they were younger and really growing fast, no big difference. When they were a little bit older, closer to being processed, still no difference. So sorry, folks, nothing truly uh, exciting there. Um, The temperatures uh, inside versus the shaded yard versus the non-shaded yard. So they had globes inside, globes in the shaded part of the yard, and globes out in the non-shaded part of the yard um yeah there was a little bit of a difference in temperature um when they were directly outside uh they you know in degrees celsius in the non-shaded part they were at 43 but inside they had 29 hey if it's up to me. I'm gonna go where it's cool <laughs> which is inside. <laughs> and mind you, these aren't even dark feathered birds. These are light feathered birds. Delawares are, are mostly white in coloration. So, you know, when it's when it's warm, I don't go out there. It's hot. That's what's going on in Delaware right now. Um Okay. Next, um they looked at the percentage of chickens outside. Um, so during week 7 uh, and week 10, the majority of birds did not spend as much time outdoors in the midday period, around 1 o'clock to And The majority of birds at week 7 spent their time outdoors in the morning. And then that was about oh, looks like about twenty three percent of their time of all, of all the birds were outside in the morning. Again, at week ten, the majority of the birds, if they were going to be outside, it was outside in the morning. You got a little bit more of a bump in the evening hours from the week seven birds. That was about eighteen percent of the birds were outside, but then by week ten, those birds then spend as much time outside, it was only about 8%. So, yeah, they can go outside, but, you know, the majority of birds were indoors. Um, let's see. We talked about weight gain. We talked about temperatures. It said on average across the study, 12.9% of birds were observed outside. That's not a whole lot of birds mm-hmm. outside. Um, the maximum of percentage of birds in a pen recorded was 100%, but that was less than 1% of the time that the observations were made. Um, and, and they did notice, anecdotally, it appeared to be most common that you had all the birds outdoors when there was cloud cover. <laughs> so um, most often you didn't see... Sorry, Okay? Most often the birds try to stay indoors. Even if you had enrichments out there for them. So a lot of people think about alright, I want my chickens to use the entire yard. Or I've got this huge backyard. Why don't my chickens use the entire space? Sometimes you have to think about where these birds grew up. They're birds of the jungle. The dense bamboo jungle. They don't like to be out in the open. So you know unless you're going to plant thick cover all over the place for them um which is not conducive to pasture uh they may not ever use your entire outdoor space so you kind of think kind of got to think about where the these birds developed and grew up and what they're used to being around um so if they did use the uh outdoor space let's see Most of their time was spent in quadrant one, closest to the building, regardless if it was an enriched pen or a control pen. If they went outside, they spent most of their time in quadrant one. And then in the enriched pens, you do kind of see a slight increase in the utilization of quadrant three, because like I said, there was a large shade panel section back there. So, you know, but still, it's not a huge amount of the birds that went all the way out there. Um, You know, behaviors that they looked at was aggression, drinking, dust bathing, feeding, foraging, perching, preening, sitting, standing, and walking. Um, They looked at whether they were doing that indoors or outdoors, and they counted the number of times each behavior was performed within the location and it appears that looks like there isn't a whole lot of difference between um yeah, there's not a whole lot of difference between whether the behaviors were performed at seven weeks indoors versus outdoors or ten weeks indoors versus outdoors. There just weren't a whole lot of birds doing stuff outdoors. That doesn't mean that this research trial hasn't, you know, illuminated our thinking on how birds can use an outdoor space, but now we have a better understanding that, you know, if you're going to have an outdoor space for the birds, expect them to use the space closest to the coop portion. Um, This is why I advocate that uh, small flock owners have multiple runs for their chicken coops so they can let a run rest because the birds have denuded most of the grasses in a certain portion and then let the birds have access to a new portion of the outdoor run where um, they can have fresh forage and I know I fully realize not everybody who has chickens wants to turn themselves into a a forage specialist um, but that's kind of what you have to think about doing is um, if I'm going to have animals on my farm and I want them to have access to the out-of-doors, I can't end up destroying um, the space where they're in or else, you know, it'll be a big goopy mess and then how am I any better than somebody who who manages their water runoff so that there isn't excess runoff and, and you know, you do have kind of a capture of nutrients rather than and having it end up being washed away um so if you're gonna put something out in the yard, you know, make sure it's in a shaded area, maybe put some perches out there if you're going to plant something that the birds might wanna run under for shade or panic shelter, consider it um, make it far away from the coop, and they may use it, but um uh, that's just something to consider for for your listeners who let their chickens free range.
0: Sounds like they just want to kind of sit in there, be lazy, eat, drink, and hang out <laughs> with their buddies.
1: Yeah, basically flock together. That's the moral of the story.
0: <laughs> well, I'm going to go to a commercial break, and we take two during the hour, hour and a half show, which is less than FM, AM radio, and less than television. So, But we've got uh, to do that because we have to say thanks to all of our awesome sponsors that make this show possible. So we'll be back right after this short break, folks. want to protect your hens from the damage caused by an overly affectionate rooster? Nothing protects hens better than the Hen Saver Hen Apron. Hen Saver Hen Aprons come in several different sizes to fit both bantam and large fowl hens. They also come in several different styles and colors. Give your hens the protection they deserve by purchasing Hen Saver Hen Aprons today. 100% of all proceeds goes to provide care to rescued animals at Crazy K Farm in Hempstead, Texas. Purchase your Hen Saver hen aprons at hensaver.com. That's hensaver.com. Since 1921, Stromberg's has been a family-owned and operated business providing quality poultry and poultry supplies to their customers. long-lasting and reliable specific area heater that comes with a three-year warranty ditch the dangerous heat lamp this season and invest in the only heater i recommend the sweeter heater purchase the sweeter heater online at sweeterheater.com that's sweeterheater.com where manufacturing has been building quality hutches since 1983 Ware manufactures modern chicken hutches, barns, pens, and nest boxes designed especially for the backyard flock. Ware offers hutches and pens for every yard size and every chicken keeper's budget. Visit their website at waremfge.com. That's W-A-R-E-M-F-G-I-N-C.com. Or call them to find a retailer near you at one eight 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 two four seven two five seven. Ware Manufacturing. Come back. Come back. Come back. All right. Thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by ComBot Feeds. I didn't mention earlier, uh, because our chickens in the news basically consisted of the update of the current salmonella outbreak related to backyard poultry, but um, uh, I'm really close to posting tour dates for the the fall tour. It's really going to be a late summer tour. Um, I've got three events in Georgia. I've got I think three events in South Carolina and one event in Tennessee. So as soon as I have those dates and times and locations, I will post those on uh, my Facebook page. So you can come on out, book signing, workshop, um, free food, snacks, uh, pictures, autographs, all kinds of fun stuff. And, um, guaranteed to have a blast family friendly, bring the kids and, um, We'll have a great time learning about chickens and spreading the chicken love. And then I will have a Florida tour as well the end of September. Probably just about four or five events in Florida, probably that last week of September. And when I have that information, then I will also post that on Facebook. We tried to do, and we had it scheduled, um tour this past February, but my dad had passed away literally a day before the first event was to take place. And I had to bail and get back up here. Uh, for uh, for that unfortunate circumstance, so we're trying to make up some tour dates down in Florida, and that'll probably be the last week in September. So back to the phone lines right now with our wonderful guest today, poultry scientist and professor Dr. Bridget McCray. Thanks for that information about the um, chicks, you know, outside and available outside, or they have access to outside and and yeah. what the staff, they just they just kind of want to hang out, sit around, eat, drink, and be merry.
1: Yeah. <laughs> And if there are folks out there who are thinking about trying to do a school science fair project, um, yes, I know it's middle of summer. Why on earth am I talking about this? I am more than happy to kind of help folks think through a science fair project. That's actually one of the things we're going to be talking about here um, at the workshop that I'm going to uh, to be doing in New Jersey is is how to use your chickens in a science fair project. Um I do have one more article I can talk about briefly, Andy, that I think some people may find very interesting, although unusual. Okay. It's um, using dried cassava pulp as an alternative energy source for laying hens. These folks in Thailand did two experiments where they looked at dried cassava pulp and incorporated it into a balanced diet. And they looked at... um, how the birds perform. They used laying hens, brown, isa-brown laying hens. Um, they looked at nutrient digestibility, egg quality, egg yolk cholesterol, sequel counts of microbes, of course that's my area of interest, and volatile fatty acids, and they did two experiments. First one, they put birds in individual cages and they randomly assigned them um, one of six different types of diets, either the control... Hey, hey.
0: Is this yeah. from the journal? Is this from the Journal of Applied Poultry Research? Yes. I'm looking at it right now. I just googled it because I was like, "What in the world is this cassava pulp?"
1: And so <laughs> while you
0: were talking, Google and, and so. In certain parts of
1: the world, cassava is a great source of energy, um, and for the human population as well as animals. And so there are regions of the world where cassava really is the main part of the meal for, for people. Um, so what they did is they, um, they said, okay, let's either put in five, 10, 15, 20, or 25% of the pulp, feed them for 10 days. Mm -hmm. And basically they found that if you fed them a diet of up to 20% of the pulp, it didn't affect, um, hardly anything. So they're like, Hmm, let's do this again with more chickens. And they did. (laughs) Again, Issa Brown laying hens, and they basically uh, looked at the control. And, of course, the control doesn't have any of the cassava pulp. It has a traditional diet. Um, They did 5, 10, 15, 20, and 25% dried cassava pulp, and they did this for 12 weeks. And they found, basically, if if you fed them up to 20%, it really didn't affect any of the perf- productive performance of the the eggs or the birds themselves. Um, they hint that there may have been a decreased egg cholesterol level, but when I went down into the actual um, uh, the actual data, it it just it didn't differ significantly. Um, they looked at lactobacillus and bifidobacterium and, you know, a few other types of, of bacteria, and they um, didn't see major differences. Um, but And lactobacillus is one of those organisms that we don't mind seeing in our chickens because it's considered a good bacteria, like you find in yogurt, um, which you shouldn't feed to your chickens because it causes diarrhea. <laughs> so, you know, it can be considered as an alternative energy source because we know that, that, you know, diet isn't all – it's protein and energy together. Um, So if soybeans um, or corn – or sorry, if corn isn't readily available, maybe cassava pulp would be an alternative at, you know, maximum 20% rate. Um, When I scroll down into the actual article itself – you know, they looked at feed conversion ratio, feed intake, egg weights, egg production. Egg production was not seriously affected. Um, and the egg characteristics like shell weight, shell thickness, yolk color, albumin hall unit, none of that was affected by even at 25%, I think, levels um, was not uh, considered significant. So it's it's nice to know that out there in the world, there are researchers who are working with alternative products. Um, I know some people have concerns about GMO and non-GMO feeds, and I'm not encouraging you to mix your own feeds, um, not without going out and learning a whole lot more about making poultry diets first. Um, but it's it's kinda neat to see what people are doing research on out there and I thought I'd share that with your listeners, Andy. That's really neat and I
0: found out what that stuff is now too, so I was looking at it and reading like <laughs> I'm kind of following it. So I'm like, okay, cool. So um yeah, I know a lot of people out there and who have backyard chickens, um, do experiments unofficially every day, like, Oh, I got some leftover uh whatever let's give it to the chickens. So oh, how about some <laughs> About, uh, you know, some of that, and they're just giving them all kinds of stuff, and they post everything on the the, the blogs and forums. Like, but uh, guess what, everybody? So, um, yeah, yeah, it worked you know, for
1: me. Well, you know, let's let's do a little more <laughs> scientific rigor here because what works for you might kill somebody else's birds or affect them in a negative manner somehow, which nobody wants to do. No. Of course so I not. I thought I'd share that with your listeners. And I hope that if you feel like it, you give that article a, a further read. And, um, I
0: will.
1: Yeah. I've got it
0: pulled up still here. And I got your flyer, by the way. I checked my email. I got oh, it. That's good. Thank
1: it. you. <laughs> <not> <laughs> and like I said, folks, walk ins are welcome. Um, we did try to do pre registrations, and we got like 30 some odd pre registrations, but the room holds 60, so there's still room if you'd like to do a walk in.
0: Yeah, come on, and that's this Saturday.
1: This Saturday, yeah. And the flyer has directions on how to find the place. You have to Google, like, Parks and Rec or something like that. It's on the flyer. Just read the flyer. Well, well, <laughs> Don't listen I'll to me.
0: <laughs> well, hey, it's uh, it's Fair Week up there in Delaware, right? You're you're swamped with oh, all the oh, heavens the fa- to
1: Murgatroyd. Yes, it is. <laughs> Setting up for the fair, making all the classes for Avian Bowl and and also poultry judging, which comes first. Our contest for poultry judging contest is on Friday, so we're going to set up for it on Thursday afternoon. And I got all my stuff entered into the fair. Oh, I forgot to tell you, Andy. Uh I found out about the coolest thing, and I went to it, and I can't wait to tell your listeners. Uh It's a retreat for egg artists. It's huh. not too far. Yeah. It's um, Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania. It's called Pizanke USA Retreat. And I went to it. And it was the most amazingly fabulous thing. And I'm I'm not a terrific egg artist by any stretch of the imagination, but they are super welcoming. And it is so affordable to go to. This, there was a lady there from Japan. Straight up, Andy. Japan. And she was a wonderful egg artist, but I learned how to do a whole slew of different types of egg arts, not just bizanki and I had a blast that's awesome so if you're so if you... you're looking for something to do with your extra eggs, here you go. We've got a whole retreat five day retreat just for you to learn how to do different stuff with your egg and it's a blast
0: that's awesome that's cool. I'd like to be a fly on the wall and just and just um Absorb all that, look and see. Yeah. But now you have more. Now you
1: have more things that you can sell
0: um, at all these events,
1: <laughs> or give us gifts. Or a lot give as gifts. these people just give them as gifts. Yeah.
0: Cool beans. You know, with the things you hear on the radio show that we have here over the years is just you're not going to get anywhere else, folks. Right here, a whole week class <laughs> on egg art.
1: Yeah. Different. I I learned I learned about Romanian eggs and scratch eggs and straw eggs. Oh, it's wonderful.
0: How about fried eggs and biscuits?
1: No. <laughs> Sorry. No. That can be an
0: awesome especially down here in the south. Well hey Doc, thanks so much for coming on, taking a, a few uh minutes out of your busy week. Uh it's a fair week up there and uh joining us and sharing uh, poultry Research Translate. It's one of my favorites when you come on because it's just, again, it's fascinating as you as our listeners can hear uh, from all the stuff that you share and, and translating it so we can have an idea of what all these fancy terms mean. So And i was a lot of posts. I've got to post folks the um, new uh, update on the current salmonella outbreak and this flyer so you can go out and see Dr. McCray this Saturday at a uh, backyard poultry workshop. How cool is that? Thanks for joining us and we'll see you um, I don't know, a couple of weeks, I guess. You'll be yeah. back all righty have a great one thanks for coming on you too andy bye-bye take care all righty that's poultry scientist and professor dr bridge mccray phd from delaware state she's also a poultry extension specialist and just uh all around great great young lady you've known her for years She's been coming on the show probably for five years co-author of my book and um just awesome love to have her on What an asset thanks for tuning in today backyard poultry with the chicken whisper brought to you by Combot feeds and uh We will uh, be back again. Check our Facebook page when we'll be broadcasting again. Thanks for tuning in. Hey, thanks to all the homeschoolers that listen to the show, the -the over-the-road truck drivers that listen to the show, everybody that listens to the live show, everybody that listens to the podcast. Once it's made into a podcast, you can listen 24 hours a day, seven days a week. There's thousands. That's no exaggeration. Thousands of you will do that. Thank you very much. And uh, let's keep spreading that chicken love from coast to coast. How about it? All righty. We'll see you next time. God bless everybody. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha.